There are many passages in the scripture that are difficult to interpret, to teach. This one is not difficult to teach <laughs> in the sense that it's pretty clear what we're called to do. But there are some scriptures that are easy to understand, but almost impossible to do. This is one of those. I'll just lay it out there for you. This is me. It is so difficult to see a reason for joy in the midst of trials. I know I'm called to do it. I know that I should. But if you're anything like me, it's hard to find joy in the midst of trials because either tears get in the way, grief gets in the way, uh, people get in the way, problems get in the way. And you're in the midst of the trial, go, so where's the joy in all this? <laughs> I can't find it in the problem. Can't see it. Well, that's what we want to talk about today. So I'm not suggesting to you that I have in any way, how would I say, been able to conquer this in my own life. I think it will probably be something I will work on for the rest of my life. You may have to do the same. So let's look at Countdown for Joy that we are going to talk about from James. Now God created humanity, created us to find our joy in glorifying him because he is the ultimate good. You see, because God is ultimately infinitely good, when we are glorifying him, we get to share in the joy of his glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism that you've probably heard many times before in the church or wherever, it says the chief end of men is to glorify God and enjoy him. It says forever. I just wish they would let me add a couple things to their catechism that we could enjoy him both now and forevermore. This is not just a future thing. It is a reality in our present day. But patience is also a treasured value in the Christian life, in the scriptures. Both joy and patience are necessarily connected and related. You see... When we glorify God, we discover our joy is in Christ. And when we persevere through our trials, through our troubles, with joy, we glorify God. So as our capacity, ability to persevere under pressure increases, so does God's glory and our joy. Now Christ never promised that we would be spared from suffering or trials or troubles. But he did say that our suffering, trials and difficulties, adversity, somehow, some way serve God's purposes and ultimately are for our good. Intellectually, I understand that. Experientially, I'm trying to be able to bring this into my life. 
Now, James wrote to Christians who were in distressed times. They were huddled together in humble homes to avoid detection from the persecutors of the church. And he encouraged Christians, as he wrote, to persevere. Persevere through this ordeal that they were going through. They persevere by faith. These Christians had endured many difficult things like famine, economic boycotts, prejudice, rejection, as well as forced dispersion. In other words, having to run for their lives. Their culture wasn't particularly impressed because these Christians were willing to suffer for their faith. We might think that's the case. But rather, their culture was impressed because they watched these Christians willingly suffer with joy. You see, they rejoiced when they were buffeted. They sang in dark prisons. And when they faced death, they looked up to heaven with a smile and prayed. See, these were veterans. Veterans of persecution. Veterans through trials and tribulations. So they were not surprised by the tough times they were going through. They came to expect trials and tribulations as normative. When they weren't sure why these trials came their way, they knew with certainty that God was sovereign over all things. That's their faith. Good theology is like a a telescope, if you would. It sees celestial night lights in the darkness that you can't see with the common eye. God's blessings are often hidden to us in our adversity unless we look for them with faith. And let me add this, if you persevere long enough to see them, the blessings. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promised the poor, the persecuted, the mourner, the starving, the hungry, and the maligned, that they would be provided for, comforted, satisfied, and rewarded for their faith. That's what got them through. That's why we are exhorted by Jesus. Rejoice and be exceeding glad For great is your reward in heaven. In the midst of our trials, we need to be thinking about the reward that's ahead. James begins this amazing book by exhorting Christians to have this kind of a mindset. To have this kind of perspective that comes from faith. Faith in the promises of God. And he begins by establishing why we can find joy in the midst of our trials. This is our text. 
look in your own Bibles or your own iPad or whatever device you may have. In my Bible, it is underlined. It's underlined because it's one of my favorite, but it's one of my favorites because I always ask as I read it, is this my experience? (laughs) So I always need to look at this. So we're looking at this together. Here it is. Starting this book after his greeting, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those are three relatively short verses, and we're going to unpack them. The difficulty will not be in explaining it. (laughs) The difficulty will be, what will you do when you go home? When you go to work tomorrow? When you are faced with the problems and the trials that you've, you've come from today? Now, let's try to take our text apart and look at some of the main exhortations of this, the significance of it. First, count on the Lord to use trials for your joy. Now, this seems counterintuitive to most of us. How can God say, I'm going to give you trials because I think it's going to be for your joy? Well, that's what he does. We have to explain. Tried our best to explain this. Let's see what the scriptures say about this. Trials, let's put adversity, difficulties, problems, are part of God's, God's good providence, the way He's ordered things, if you would. Here are words that have gotten me through many unexplained personal trials. No one I've taken these from no one that I know of, but I'm giving them to you. These words are the ones that have gotten me through some very difficult times. I repeat them very often in my life. I did during some very difficult, dark days of grief. And here they are. I suggest to you, you might want to keep these in your mind when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through the trial. Here it is. God is infinitely good. Therefore, whatever he chooses to do or not do, he does for his glory and our good. Do you believe that's true? Amen? But can you say that when you go home? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is, this is what we believe. And this is what James is saying. If you believe that's true, practice it. Put it into practice, into your life. For example, Christ endured the atrocities of the cross for the joy of glorifying his Father. But he also was willing to suffer for our good. He did that because he loves us. 
His suffering secured our hope. It's our hope today, and it is our hope for eternity. Anytime we talk about trials, we talk about joy, you almost have to go to this passage of Scripture. There are others as well we'll look at. For I consider, says Paul in Romans 8, 18, that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice what is behind a reason for our joy is that what we're going through presently somehow, some way, is not even going to be compared to, worthy compared to the glory that awaits us. These are things that keep us looking above and not looking around. If we want joy in the midst of trials, you can't be consumed with the trial. (laughs) You can't let the mountain get in the way of seeing God. You can't let the problem, the person, the predicament to get in the way of your hope. Now the word, the Lord works all these things in our trials, uh, in our life, together for our good. But here's the point, my friends, brothers and sisters. God works all things together for our good, but joy is your choice. All right? You see, to count here, that he's exhorted, count it all joy, is a word that James is using from a financial world. Count it all joy. is another word of saying, do your accounting. Count on trials. Of placing everything, including the trials in your life, under the column of pure joy. So, when you have a trial... James is saying, take the trial. You could say, well, this is under pain, adversity, reason for bitterness, reason for giving up, stopping, quitting, whatever. And he'll say, take this. Now take it over here and put it under the category of joy. Now why can you find joy by moving trials over here? We're going to talk more about that. In other words... Make a decisive decision to place your trial in the ledger in your minds under the category of joy rather than leaving it under the category of despair and feelings of abandonment. It's another way of saying count your trials as a reason to rejoice. He's not saying be happy Don't worry. Be giddy. But he's saying, know with certainty that God has good purposes for everything that enters my life. You see, happiness is determined by what's happening around us. 
But joy is determined by what's happening in us and for us. If we value character, if you value growing, maturing as a Christian, then we will see trials as a reason for joy. If you're content where you are right now, then you're going to find it difficult to want to see joy in your trials. Joy comes from accepting God's sovereign will. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, this is going to just shoot right over your head. If you believe God is sovereign over everything, then this is where we need to stop and look for a minute. Here's one of those other classic passages of Scripture that I think many of us have memorized and should. Romans 8, 28. And we hope, we know, thank you. (laughs) I knew that, but I'm glad you said that. (laughs) And we know, we are sure, we are certain that all things work together for good to who? To those love God. To who? To those who are the called according to his purpose. He has a purpose for you. And his purpose for you is growing up. His purpose for you is to become mature. To find joy. And believe it or not, trials are a part of that process. As much as we wish maybe they weren't. Joy comes from accepting God's sovereign will. Joy is the satisfaction of knowing with all the ability you have that God is working all things together even in our trials for a greater good. That gives us reason to rejoice in the Lord always as Paul has also said. We can rejoice knowing is by nature joyful. How do you look at God? Let's just for a second, a little side note here. How do you look at God? I think many people feel God is sort of old, cranky, preoccupied. A little bit like, oh, here they come again, more problems. Here they come again, wanting forgiveness. I'm just so sick and tired of these uh, All these uh, human issues that they bring to me. That is not our God. He's called a father. He's called love. Full of grace. And here's the thing that's so amazing. Because he is a God with infinite joy. And our God is good. He wants us to have and share in his joy. Does that make sense? He's a joyful God. I am so grateful for that. So when I'm down here in the pits, grubbing around in the the dust, my God is not up there going, oh my goodness, this is way beyond me. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. It's not him at all. 
When I'm struggling, when I've failed him, he doesn't go, well, what a bummer. That's not our God. He's infinitely, perfectly joyful, loving, merciful, gracious. Always. In the midst of my trial, I may be having difficulties, but not God. I need to know that. He turns our tears in the night into a sunrise of joy. Psalm 3050, by the way. He turns our sorrow into reasons to rejoice. He brings joy at the end of harvest. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in us to bring us what? Joy. He is deeply committed to our everlasting joy. John 15, 11. He promises to answer our prayers so that our joy may be made full, complete. So what is needed in our trials to give us joy? Here it is. Your choice. (laughs) It's your perspective. It's your willingness to submit. It's your willingness to trust in God. We can choose to be miserable. And we can choose to make others miserable. Or we can choose to be joyful in our trials. If, if we believe that God has good reasons for everything we encounter in life, we can decide to be bitter or blessed. They're both choices. We can also choose to be grateful or ungrateful. But let me say this. It's impossible to be joyful when you're ungrateful. When you are grateful, you will find many reasons to rejoice. You see, gratitude shapes our joy. A pastor that I knew lost his wife and he wrote this uh, short book called Tearful Celebration. I knew him. I knew his grief. And the agony he had of watching his wife die of cancer. I'm just going to read a little section for you. This is reality check. He says, The unwitting implication is that there can be no joy unless the sadness is first removed. I'm not praying that the Lord will take away my grief. Sometimes we want to be seen as good Christians. So we try to project an image of radiance by hiding our times of unhappiness negative feelings, and devastating sadness. The Christian life then becomes a masterful deception, a clever charade. Christianity, however, is not gleeful, uninterrupted bliss. Those who equate joviality with spirituality are tragically in error. The hallelujahs of joy reverberate on broken heartstrings. My rejoicing is not that of happy feelings. It is triumph in trial and confidence in a supreme God. The true joy of the Lord is divine enablement, 
not effervescent emotions. He says, the real taste of celestial joy is discovering that I can conquer sorrow through him that loved me. When I read these words, I know this man. I have felt these things. I have faced the same thing. And he's articulated for me exactly my own feelings. You see, trials are inevitable. And James is a realist. He doesn't say, if we face trials, but what does he say? Whenever we face them. Since we are God-scattered people, we will face trials. But we are not necessarily and always his sheltered people from the things that enter our lives. Sometimes these trials come one at a time. But like the last five months, They've come like all at once. And it overwhelms you. A perfect storm. How in the world do you work through the trial? If you're looking at the mountain in front of you, you're going to be depressed, discouraged, not wanting to persevere. Or... If you can see that God has good purposes, we begin to say, somehow, some way in the trial, God is working something good because God is good. James seems to be commenting on Christ's teachings about trials. Jesus taught, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful. And then he puts, but. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. John 16, 20. John 16, 20. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will do what? Rejoice. And no one can take your joy from you. Jesus also explained, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And because we're identified with Christ and his triumph, we too can triumph through these difficult times in our life. And in our church. Christ made it very clear. That his people will face trials. But in them. They are to rejoice. Knowing somehow. Some way. That God is sovereign over all things. And he's working all things together. For his glory and our good. Do you believe that's true? If you believe that's true. You're being tested. To see if it actually works its way through our life. This is not just from James, but throughout the Bible. 
First Peter 4, I think we read it earlier. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange, unique, never happened before has happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, if we're just stuck in time and space, our problems, trials seem overwhelming. But if you see in your trials and tribulations that there's hope in tomorrow, in the glory that's to be revealed, you can persevere. Because there's a purpose for what you're going through. James has also told us that there are various kinds of trials, or degrees, if you would, of trials. Literally saying, if you take apart the the words there in the Greek, He's saying that these trials, these various forms of trials, are multicolored. They're variegated. Our trials vary from frustrating irritations to overwhelming grief and sadness, disappointment, hurt. But here's the point. Trials are inevitable, but our attitudes are optional. That's what gets me, about me. What we believe about God and how we choose to account for our trials makes the difference between joy and despair. In other words, your theology, when it is good and you mix theology with faith, it will equate to joy. One commentator made this observation about our joy in trials. Here's what he said. Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. Interesting. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. James next explains what he means by counting it pure joy. Count on the Lord to use trials to produce perseverance. That would be a reason for joy. You see, trials test our faith. The justified, the Christian, the born and Christian are not only saved by faith, but they are to live by faith. And trials reveal our weaknesses and our strengths. Trials reveal the true nature of what we believe and what we believe to be true. What we believe to be true about God will be tried and tested in adversity. In our trials, we face the limits of our faith, the limits to our confidence in God. But in our weakness, we discover the sufficiency of God's grace. So when we realize our weakness, we are 
strong. That's how we count it all joy when we encounter various trials. That when I'm weak, I guess I'm strong. Why are you strong? Because God's grace is sufficient to see you through it. Trials humble us and expose our true values. It is sometimes the reason for the trial we're going through. Let me back that out a second. If you're proud, if you are, have hidden values, trials will expose that. These trials break our stubborn will and they teach us what is most worthwhile and enduring. I don't know what it is about pastors and husbands who lose their wives, but they seem to write books. (laughs) Another one is C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed. He wrote the death and grief of his beloved wife who died also of cancer. Here's what he said. It's advice to us. God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or my love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock or the stand the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize that fact was to knock it down. The lessons we learn in our trials are revealed to us, who we are and what we really depend upon. Trials also prepare us to comfort others in their day of adversity. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Simple way of saying it. If God comforted you, now he's going to use your trial and the comfort you received to comfort other people who are going through their trials. That's why some of these men have written these books. Because God comforted them in their grief. It's God's way of using trials for a purpose beyond what we could see. Matter of fact, what you're going through now may be what God has put you through or putting us through is so that we can comfort others. I have a phone call coming tomorrow. A little side note here from a Hispanic pastor I've known for years. He called me up and he goes, Hey, Pastor. He said, I need to talk to you. And I go, Well, sure, what's up? He goes, I need to I need to sit down and talk to you because our church is going through some difficult times, some church discipline issues. 
I go, really? And we're meeting and we're talking tomorrow. And I have, I have comfort for him. I truly do. And I hope you are comforted as we're going through this process. Is it painful? Yes. Are you here with uncertainty and question marks in your mind? I understand. But God has had purposes. But I'm not sure all of what they're for, but one of them may be to comfort other people. Just one possibility. And trials test our capacity to persevere. Oh my goodness. See, our testing is like a uh, process of refining precious metals under hot coals of fire and pressure. The anvil of trials. Testing proves how weak or how strong is our faith and teaches how faithful God is to his promises. Testing will expand your capacity to endure. The more you know how to persevere, the more you will find your ability to increase your joy. One of the problems is for many relationships, marriage, churches, work, whatever, is that when we feel the pressure, what do we do? The little escape excuse. Um, it's, it's, you cannot build a good marriage. You can't build a good church. Good friendships. When you're always have one foot on the escape hatch. <laughs> Say, yeah. Um, I will be with you through sickness, through health. But then I put my foot on that escape thing. Unless I decide and don't feel this, I'm taking the escape. The people who learn to take their foot off the escape hatch are the people who are going to persevere. The people who are going to know how to persevere in the future. And here it is. Here's the catch. The more you learn to withstand pressure... By persevering, the greater will be your capacity for joy. Paul says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There it is again. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We find the same thing in 1 Peter. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. That now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, this, when we hear these, read these things, this is, this is the life of the early church. These were not super saints. These were not people who, 
you know, if they lived a victorious Christian life, had no problems because they always did the right thing. And they, you know, no, these were, they're super saints who persevered through trials. And that's why we admire them so much. And our final thought here is, count on the Lord to use trials to complete us. Complete us. God works through trials to perfect our faith. By faith, we believe God's purposes and plans are perfect. He never, I love to be able to say never and always, because you can't always do that. But I love to say it. He, God, our God never acts contrary to his divine nature or holy character. He's always holy, always has, always will be. He never, I love, again, it's really fun when you're able to just preach like that, these truths. Not only is he always holy, but he never allows anything to enter my life, our lives, that he hasn't first designed or permitted for our good and his glory. What has entered your life? And you know what the answer is? Whatever God designed or allowed. So what's happened to us had a purpose and he has a good purpose. And we are to rest in this knowledge that God is supreme, that God is good. He's watching over our lives. Whatever has entered your life today or mine or ours, it's because God has allowed it or designed it. You see, trials help us discover that our greatest pleasure will be to live for God's glory. How's the joy factor in your life? The joy factor in my life has been like a, a yo-yo. Like a roller coaster. But I can tell you this, the more you are committed to live for the glory of God, your joy will increase. He works to complete us. Now when he says complete or perfect, neither Christ nor James or any of the uh, apostles ever believed that we could attain moral or sinless perfection this side of heaven. But the perfection that is being spoken of here is to have the perfection of our faith. So we we share the same values and attitudes of our Heavenly Father. The word perfect that is used here and throughout the scriptures means maturity. Coming to maturity. Coming to completeness. Growing up. When we are mature, we can love our enemies. We can bless those who curse us. We can do good to those who hate us. We can pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Maturity is also our capacity to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. 
I've been struggling with that. Christ is committed to making us complete and spiritually mature so that we lack nothing. Paul talks about this. For I am sure of this. This is another one of those verses I have underlined in my Bible. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What we're realizing is that we all need to be wearing construction hats. God is at work. Falling objects. Failing people. Slippery places. But God's at work. Somebody put it this way, we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God has given us to mature. Wisdom helps us to understand how to use these circumstances for our good and God's glory. He's completing us. And so here we are. Counted all Joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various variegated different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. These are three of the most uh, precious scriptures or verses but some of the most difficult to apply to our personal life. How many of you believe God is infinitely good? That whatever God chooses to do or not do, He does for His glory and my good. And we're being tested. (laughs) That explains kind of why we're going through trials. On the personal side, community side. Brothers and sisters, we're in this together. I would urge you, if you are in a relationship and you're going, you know, I just don't think I can take it anymore. My exhortation is do all you can to persevere. Because the more you persevere, the more you will be able to see reasons for the what you're going through. And I'm encouraging all of you to persevere here with us. God is at work. And he has purposes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you can give to us even the capacity to find joy in our trials. Only you can do that. We're praying for those who are here this morning who are in the midst of a trial, difficulty, problems, overwhelming circumstances, that somehow, some way, that your spirit will lift them up. And give them this incredible capacity to rejoice in the midst of what they're going through. For those who are at the place of abandonment, the place of 
escape. Lord, I pray that you will give them the ability to persevere. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for that love that you shed abroad in our heart. That we might be able to persevere. And grow up. To become the people you wish us to become. So bless those who are here today who need a word of encouragement, a reason for hope, a reason to rejoice. Thank you for your patience and grace for me. Help me to be able to take a trial and put it over in the ledger of joy. I know that can't happen unless I believe that there are reasons that you have that are sometimes not made known to me or to others why these trials come our way. But we do believe you have purposes. Purposes for your church, for our personal life, for our families. But ultimately, we hope and pray for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.